0: APU. American Public University is proud to present The Everyday Scholar.
1: Hello, my name is Dr. Bjr Mercer, and today we're talking to Dr. Karolina Kupczynska, faculty in the School of Arts, Humanities, and Education. And today our conversation is about growing up in Poland. Welcome, Karolina. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to have you. Um, Unfortunately, we're talking about this specifically because of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Needless to say, we're recording this at the end of June and the war is still going on. It's hard to say how long it will go on. Hopefully it comes to a speedy end. However, it doesn't seem like that. And so my first question is, what was it like growing up in a communist Poland?
0: Well, um, I obviously was very young. I was born in 75. So Poland at that time was already a communistic country. So during 70s, I just remember from the stories of my grandparents, you know, telling me how Difficult life was and then from my parents my parents were born in the 50s. So they would you know share stories about obviously Trying to make it on a daily basis, you know going to school Trying to have a job trying to pay the bills to help out it was it was really really difficult So I didn't think really much of it because as a child I can't say that I was really interested in politics However, I think everything started when I was about six years old, uh, when I was going to kindergarten. And we lived rather far away from you know, where our family was. Our family was in the center of Stalova Vola and we were really in the outskirts close to a city called Nisko. So we had to walk because obviously we don't have school buses, we had to walk to school. So at that time, my mom would walk me to the kindergarten. It was about 35-minute speedy walk. So after she was picking me up from work, she would say, and this was in 81, this is pretty much when martial law started. So she would always say, don't look at anything, just keep your eyes on the road and just keep on walking. Don't look at anything. And obviously, when you say, don't look, what do you do? You look. So in the city, I could see everything. I could see soldiers on the street. I could see tanks parked There was a lot of violence happening. You know, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't really do anything. You couldn't travel. Everything was just forbidden. And this is pretty much when the communism took over to the point that as a person, you were receiving, and you can imagine, a card which looked exactly the size of a business card, which was divided into small, tiny squares, about one centimeter each on the top, and on the bottom and on the side, and it was nothing in the middle. In the middle was your name. So my mom would receive one, and my father would receive one, and each square represented the portion of food that you can get per month. So obviously people were paid per month, which was already very difficult, and now you could only get one kilogram of meat one kilogram of sugar per month. You could get half a kilogram of candy, one bottle of vodka. So everything was so portioned that even if you had a lot of money, which people did have, they couldn't get anything. They couldn't purchase anything. So it was really, really hard. I've seen my mom crying quite often and talking to my dad, you know, what are we going to do? It's so hard for kids. And then sometimes you would go to the store with the money, but the shelves were empty because there was shortage of food. So you couldn't make it. And I remember when I was about that age, six, seven, I was spending a lot of time at my grandparents' house on my father's side because they live right across from the elementary school. And I would go and I would sit down in the kitchen, you know, I would talk to my grandma and I would always say, why do you guys have so much bread at home? There's always, you know, it seems like majority of it is going to waste. And then my grandmother explained that during the war, there was nothing to eat. So therefore they would rather have more than not have enough. Because when you go two, three weeks without food, Obviously, it's very difficult. And I did understand what they meant because at school, we don't have school lunches. After each class, you have 10 minute break. Then after second period, 15 then 20 then 25 30 and you have about 40 minutes for lunch so even in elementary school you could leave the school and run to the store and you know purchase something obviously nobody was going cuz number one nobody had money but it was really i remember sitting on a on a hallway with my friend and you know we would look around and there were kids who had bread and they had ham inside and i remember my mom and she would ask me said you know, I'm going to make you a sense. No, 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 no. I'm not hungry. I, I really don't want to eat. And she's like, Well, you have to eat. I, I really don't. I was just ashamed to have a piece of bread with butter. And she would sometimes put sugar on it. And that was my lunch for school. Literally, she would get meat. She would buy it with her sister and they would cook it slowly. So, and then would put them in jars. So it was just a little bit of meat and like all that fat that was there and literally we would have sandwiches for dinner because there was no potatoes no rice no pasta forget about it there was luxurious food we would have a bread with that spread on yellow onion salt and that's what we would eat so i remember the beginning of the communism when i was you know about 6 7 years old i obviously didn't like it much because I, you know, I said, dad, can I have an orange? And he says, what? No, you cannot have an orange because we just can't purchase one. There is just nowhere to buy it, not enough money to, to buy it from. And besides where would you get it when you only have a small little card telling you how much money you can spend. So to answer your question, the beginning wasn't very pleasant. It was a lot of disappointing moments, you know, um, I remember in, in, in you know same thing in school, I was sharing a pair of sneakers with my friend because she didn't have it. And in the gym we had to obviously run. So I would run first and then come back, take my shoes off, give it to her. She would use them. You know, she would run and that was normal. Nobody would comment because people simply didn't have it. And families were big, you know, because where I lived in the apartment building with there were 40 families, and the family who lived, I lived on the second floor. The family that was underneath, they had four kids. The family that was all the way to the top on the third floor, they had six kids. So it was really, really hard. You know, neighbors were helping each other. You know, if you didn't use something, you would leave it in front of your door, or put it in front of their door, like clothing or food to help each other, because it was really, really hard.
1: It's hard to know how to react to that. I was also born in 75. I guess, the other side of the world in um, in Astoria, Oregon. And so I don't remember any hardships growing up. I think that's one of the huge positives of the US is that the whole capitalistic free market, et cetera, it allowed companies to just kind of do what they want and to try to make money. But it also meant that consumers were able to buy. And We have had enough. I mean, the only time I've ever experienced any kind of lacking in anything has been because of COVID. And that reason is complex also. You know, it's not just, you know, rushes to the grocery store, but also logistics and certain things that have happened with only one factory in the country for this and that, which of course is a bad thing. But when I think of Poland, in 82 and 83, we were in Crete. So my dad was in the military and part of NATO base, which of course was in direct opposition to the Warsaw Pact, famously named after Warsaw, the capital of Poland. And it just seems so utterly bizarre to think that. Here, I was a six-year-old kid in Crete, part of a military family in opposition to Poland. Again, we can have a wonderful wider conversation about the frivolity and the uselessness of war and conflict. But why do you think Poland, after having, quote, just the horrific events of Poland during World War II, besides the Holocaust, the great number of lives lost of Poles in Poland during World War II, is just staggering? What is it about, was it just the communistic authoritarian kind of grip on the country that they wanted to control everything? They felt threatened from NATO? You know, because Poland's a big country, lots and lots of fields. There's lots of possibilities for production that, you know, like you were saying, with the lack of food, that's a human issue.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think this is what started happening in the 80s, because I remember we still had black and white TV And I remember all the protesters, even my mom's two brothers, uh, my grandfather, who were going to the factory and staying over there and obviously having strikes because they didn't agree with the regime. They didn't agree with what was happening because they said, this can be much better. Obviously, I think I was a first secretary of Poland. His name was Edward Giermek. And from what I understood from my grandpa is that he took a lot of loans and wanted to improve Poland, obviously, as a country, and obviously everything backfired. So everything resulted in domestic crisis. So farmers were not represented. So what was happening with them, because this is practically where Lech Wałęsa came from, with Solidarność, because that was the only thing that was on TV, on a radio. You would constantly hear, and people just said, enough is enough. But from what I've read and studied in school during history, that the president who was in charge in 81, Wojciech Jaruzelski, he did the martial law supposedly to, to protect the people because he was petrified of people having riots and just standing up and saying enough we do not have to live like this like you mentioned poland is rich they have fields where they grow everything potatoes corn tomatoes i mean farmers i mean as far as you can see in certain areas and and they love it and obviously, production was not moving. So what they created, their crops were wasted, just like it happened here, like you mentioned during COVID, that they were giving out free food because they didn't know what to do with it. It would just simply go to waste. So when everything happened, people just believed in Lech Wałęsa and in Solidarność and said you know, he is going to make a difference. We do not have to be oppressed. Why do we have to be told that we only can purchase one kilogram of sugar? So that means you can't bake, you can't do anything because, you know, in Poland, people drink a lot of tea and coffee. So you have tea four times a day, there goes your sugar. And I remember I love chocolate since I was a little kid and I would always ask my dad, can you give me one candy? He says, well, we have to portion it. I said, what do you mean we have to portion it? So imagine a candy that was about three inches long, like a rectangle. I would normally have it one a day. And then he started cutting it into a half and I would have a half. And then suddenly he would cut it in thirds and then a quarter. And I said, no, this is ridiculous. I mean, you can you practically get like a sliver of, of you don't even know what, you know, it's just a taste of chocolate on your tongue. So it got to the point that honestly, even I, as a kid, I felt like, why can I have more? Why can't I have what I want? So that obviously, when everything ended in 83 with the martial law, so many people got arrested. So many people died, obviously, because They wanted to go out at 10 p.m. And you couldn't. You couldn't do anything. So you had to be very quiet and kind of almost like hiding in your own home. Because that's exactly I remember my mom is like, do not turn the light on. They would go to their friend's house, like across the street to play cards. And they had candles on on a table. So they barely could see the light because you were not allowed to have lights on. You know, you're living in a country, you have your own home, you pay your bills. And then somebody tells you you cannot do this.
1: Again, it's it's so bizarre. It makes me think of North Korea today, where the authoritarian grasp on the people is so extreme because they want to keep control. Were they doing that to ensure that there aren't riots, to ensure that the Russians wouldn't come in and crush any kind of things? Because the Russians, the ones who controlled the Soviet Union. And, you know, at the time, Poland was a, quote, independent country, but it was really controlled by the Russians. And they've severely crushed any kind of rebellions or even any kind of protests that occurred in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And so I could see countries like Poland and Hungary and Romania being very wary of like, okay, we need to make sure that everything looks good because we don't want the Russians to come in and kill our own people. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. That's why the decision of the president Jaruzelski was to
0: get start the martial law to protect the people. He thought that he was doing them a favors because of the riots, because of the constant protests, because of artists making movies, making music, all of that was coming through channels that were not allowed. So he believed that this would be A way to hush down everybody and kind of sort of stop it. But what happened is obviously it exploded because people said no more. And then Solidarność took over pretty much, and like Wałęsa became a president in 1990. And from that on, I think suddenly everything flourished. In such a way that if you want it, you had it. So from observing it, how people lived on what happened, and I had these conversations often with my dad, who doesn't like politics, but does enjoy looking at it from an economic point of view. So he says that right after that severe control of communism, where you were completely told what to do and how, suddenly capitalism started. Just like you mentioned, because everybody, oh, I want to have a business. I want to do this. I want to do that. And suddenly people had started making a lot of money. So the production, the industry, everything started growing. Same thing with education, because at that time, not many people were going to school because everybody was going to work because obviously they had to make money because you didn't have it. you know, Especially for families, like I said, who were not very fortunate and we're talking about the lower class it was really hard can you imagine standing in line in front of the store for two days without sleeping to be able to purchase two pounds of potatoes and maybe a small little piece of meat and then toilet paper and toilet paper was you couldn't just come in and grab a whole bag you were giving a roll or two Two days to be able to purchase that.
1: You know, these stories, I feel, should be told more often because of the experience you went through and millions of people like you in these countries. Because, again, I th- I think again we we're born the same year. And when I grew up, my dad was an enlisted army. My mom was a nurse. So we weren't rich, but we were not poor. And I don't ever remember lacking. Of course, this is the memory of a child. But at the same time, we always had chocolate. My dad always had his tea. My mom always had her coffee. There was always sugar. I think these stories should be told everywhere, not just here, but in Poland, in Russia, in all these countries for good governance. It even makes me think of like Poland today, which is having what I would describe as it's a flourishing country versus Russia, which has stagnated for years because the government again is trying to control things. And if it just... I would describe myself as a lowercase libertarian. Let people be who they are. Let companies do what they want to do. You regulate the things that can kill people. You no, know, if you just let it be, typically they take care of themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think we can learn from other countries. You know, we had multiple conversations about Finland, how they handle certain things. And it's considered to be the happiest country where people are really saying that they are happy. It's because they are not being told what to do and how to do it. So I think those years, you know, when I was growing up, they were really difficult. And I agree with you that stories should be shared. And there are books, obviously, articles, everything is written. And I like to read it from not only my point of view when I was a little girl at that time, but seeing my parents struggling and then my grandparents struggling because obviously every generation it's impacted in a different way. So my grandparents, because obviously they lived through the war. For them, it was really, really difficult, but they were not shocked almost. The fact that they didn't have food, that the fact that they couldn't get certain things was not, it was almost normal. It's like, okay, yet another one type of thing. But for us, you know, the younger generation, like, what do you mean I can't have chocolate? I can't have milk. I can't have Pepsi. It, It was just impossible. But then like within literally five, six years, everything had changed. It went to you know, a beautiful country that started moving. Like I said, everything just started flourishing at the same time. So it changed drastically. There are other things that obviously are happening. I remember talking to my grandfather who would always say, as a joke, but not really. The people that have will always have the people that are in the middle and are below, they have to worry about things because when something happens in a country, seems like these are the group of people that are being hit the most. And you absolutely right, making reference to Russia at that time, controlling and really keeping a finger on the pulse, like what's going on, where is this going to happen? It was, we were definitely impacted even as a children, not only because of economics, but even at school, we had to take Russian and it was mandatory starting in fourth grade. So we were just kids, but because they didn't know what was going to happen, that was in the beginning of the nineties, like 88, 89, they didn't know what was, because there were always frictions between Poland and Russia. And, you know, you could hear it on TV, you know, This person said that. But anyway, so we had to do it. And obviously, you know, when they tell you again what to do, you choose not to do it. I would have these conversations with my grandfather where he lived. There was this beautiful willow tree and a small little bench. And we used to sit over there when I was coming back from school. He would see me. So he would come downstairs and we would sit down and he would talk. He didn't want to talk much about war. He didn't really want to talk much about politics. He just said try to enjoy life, you know, every moment, even if you have nothing to eat, just think about it can be worse. You know, he says doing war and he would, you know, tell me and sometimes show me his feet where they were crossing from Poland to Russia in the wintertime and they had to cross the river. They would have to take their shoes off. His feet were purple. And he said, see, and he says, and I keep on walking because, we are like machines. Our bodies are built to move. I don't want to sit down. I don't want to stop moving. So things like that, that he would share, I said, okay, so that made me become stronger and say, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. Even if I go without a sandwich a day or two, it's okay. It's going to happen. Going back to taking Russian in school, he would say the same thing. He said, just think about it. He said, your enemy is right over the river. So don't learn the Russian language to like it, learn it because at that time it was your enemy. So speak the language of your enemy. So you start putting it together. It was just from from one point of view, it was a fantastic life lesson. From a second point of view, I saw it, how sad it is that at that age, I have to learn about that because you just didn't know what to expect.
1: It is. It is. That's. It's hard to even know how to respond. To that your enemy is across the river. A historic enemy, not just like the now, like decades and centuries. And today, we're speaking with Dr. Karolina Kopczynska, and we'll be right back after a short break.
0: At American Public University, we believe that higher education can unlock higher purpose. So we offer 200 modern programs for those who want to make a difference. And we believe education must adapt to students' needs. That's why we've made it accessible through online classes and flexible with monthly program starts. American Public University, within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com.
1: And we're back with Dr. Karolina Kupczynska. And so this brings me to the next question is, what are the concerns of the countries like Poland, Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia, of what your grandfather said is learn Russian to know the language of your enemy. I would like to say that we could live in a world where we have no enemies. We're just people. The average person honestly doesn't care. If you live across the river and on one side is somebody who speaks Polish, the other side is Russian. They just want to farm. They just want to live. But the leaders have other, other intentions. So what is it like for those Eastern Baltic states?
0: I feel that since I grew up over there, there was this type of mentality that you live your life but you almost all the time walking on the eggshells because you never know. You're surrounded by other countries. And the history of Poland is fascinating when you start learning it. The fact that the country wasn't there at all for 123 years, it just wasn't on the map. And obviously the leaders, like you said, brought it back. And then you have the leaders who just want something else learning from both of my grandparents, my mother's father fought in Italy, in Monte Cassino, and my father's father fought in Poland, in Ukraine, which at that time was part of Poland, and then in Russia. And he honestly, when myself or my cousin, who both of my cousins are in the military, and they would ask, you know, like, what was the purpose? And he would always shake his head and says, and that's the only one question that we do not have answer for. He says, because war, really, there is no purpose. He says, I am fighting for ideology. I'm fighting for somebody's desire to have something that I don't want. And I have to go over there. And obviously, you know, he's he, he would never share with us the details, but you could tell that he was deeply hurt by what he have seen, you know, what happened. So he says, one thing you do not want, he says in life, is to be a part of a war. Number one, it takes away so many people and it's really senseless. And he says, it's called, it's definitely politics. He said, it's definitely a money-making business. But going back to Poland, Like I said, we in school learn not only Polish history, but we learn, we have three different history classes in school. We learn the whole world, every single country. We learn about United States, Asian countries, everything. And they want us to compare and contrast to see what was happening. and. Like my grandpa used to say, history does repeat itself. What happened 50 years ago is going to happen again. How it's going to be handled, it's up to the people who will have the power, who are going to be impacted by it. But he said it's always the same. It's just going to keep on coming back. And, you know, I'm sure if we were to sit down and kind of sort of track that, there are a lot of similarities. We're looking, as you mentioned, at one right now that's happening. And once again, if somebody asks a question, what is the purpose of this war once again? So I think Poland right now with the politics that they have, I don't follow it very much. Obviously I hear much from my dad, you know, who tells me what he is watching on in TV and what's happening. But one thing is for sure, younger generation has a good chance of making it through. The educational system is better. Universities are free. Students can go and study, be able to have really good professions and be able to find a job, which is obviously very important. And the fact that borders are open, it doesn't just prevent you to work in Poland. If you want to go and study in Spain, my family is all over the place. I have a cousin One cousin who lives in Poland, one who is in Ireland, another cousin is in Spain. So they're all over the place. You know, We are able to do that. But I think there's always going to be that mentality in the back of our head, it has happened before. In other words, once you get burned, you know that if you put your hand under hot water, chances are you're going to get burned again. So you don't forget the feeling of how it was. And frankly, I would not want to wish it upon anybody to really not know what you're going to put on a piece of bread, and even if you're going to have that piece of bread.
1: No, agreed. And in the US today, there's so much infighting. And I find the infighting curious because I think for Americans, for the most part, we agree on seven out of 10 things. Like we agree on democracy, we agree on freedom of speech. We agree on all these things, and then we get down to details. So three out of 10, we don't agree on. You know what, that's normal. I mean, how often do we have fights with our own family? about things we don't agree with. It's totally normal for politics not to agree. Looking at the current war in Ukraine, where Ukraine was a struggling democracy, I think any country that comes from communism, especially being an authoritarian kind of system, transitioning to democracy is never easy. I mean, it takes decades for that to happen. And I think when the West, quote, won, big old quotes, won the Cold War, we, because we're over here, saw you know, slam dunk. We won. Our side won. Our ideas are better. And then we dropped the ball in the Reconstruction. And it's not that we dropped the ball with Poland and all the Baltic states, and they're all doing great. You know, Ukraine struggled a bit. And more importantly, Russia struggled. And because Russia struggled, economically, the people were depressed. The oligarchs, I mean, we can always argue that there's oligarchs here in the US, but it's free market oligarchy. (laughs) Those people are chosen by Putin. I mean, it's been Putin since the 90s. One guy in control. Imagine if Clinton was still in control. That would would be terrible. I always like to use the example of uh, Mugabe, I believe in Zimbabwe, where for the first 10 years, he was great. He helped this struggling country do wonderful. And then the next 20 years, he just murders people. That's why there should never be people who are in control for longer than x number of years because they might do great but then eventually they do terrible. It is so hard to imagine because like here I live in Arizona, you live in Massachusetts. Like we're not afraid of Mexico invading Arizona. You're not afraid of New York invading Massachusetts or the Canadians coming down through Vermont. We're very very lucky living in North America because we've had relative peace. Relative peace for centuries besides the Civil War, but that was a that was our own creation. That was us, us against us versus Poland has been in such a struggle if it's not the Germans invading it's the Russians invading and it's just it's those two countries that always seem to want to well control people around them and the poles and the estonians and the lithuanians and the finns they're caught in the middle it's luckily something that Americans don't have to worry about but we should know about I
0: agree I think it's very important where Especially that in the United States, we have people from all over the world. We test our nationalities, right? We find out I'm 10% this, 15% that. That's exactly what it is. You know, your great-grandparents came from that country. They started, that's exactly what it is. We should know the history of why did they come here? What pushed them to come here? You know what I mean? Just like I, yeah, I often ask my dad, why did we come here in 92? You know, we lived in Poland at that time. My father had a successful business. My mom had same thing, a successful job. Entire family was taken care of. We were going to really, really good schools. And then suddenly a moment came and he's like, we're going to America. And I said, what? Why would we go to America? We have America here. This is this is our land of opportunity. We know exactly what we're going to do. And everything changed. So my grandmother came here in the 30s, late 30s for the first time. And then she came to United States 14 more times. The last time she was here, She was in late 70s. She says, I can still make it. She says, I want to see United States one more time. And she wrote her own diaries. But then when we talked quite often, she said, it has changed tremendously. United States, she said, I feel that it's more controlled now than it used to be when I used to come here at the beginning. She used to come and she was staying in New York and New Jersey. She was working for a Jewish family. She was sewing for them. So it was very, very interesting to hear her story. And she said, I feel that now in a way through media, they tell you what to eat how to exercise, what to buy. She said, very few people have their own garden. She said, when I was here in the 50s and 60s, people were making their own food. She said, I'm talking to my friends who are here in the United States and I hear they are sick. They have this, they are that. She said, could it be because it's no longer human made, but it's you know processed and everything else? So it was really, really interesting to see it through her eyes, who came to the same spot, to the same country, So many times, practically every three years, she would come over here and stay for a month or two. She would sit on the bench and just watch, observe people walking, talking, behaving, you know, in the store and everything else. So it was really interesting to hear it. But I do agree with your point that it's important to know about prior generations, where we came from and how much was sacrificed in order for generations here now to be happy to have food, to have a successful life. And I think they had a glimpse of it during COVID when suddenly, remember there was a panic of going to the store and purchasing and buying because you didn't know what was going to happen. And I talked to my parents at that time and I said, how does it feel for you? Because this is practically part two my mom, you know, was just saying, oh my God, I hope we do not go through the same thing that we had to go through in Poland. And obviously it was a short lift, but she said it was really, really scary. It just brought up all those feelings of fear and not knowing if we're going to go someplace or do something, not knowing if you're going to be able to eat tomorrow, if you're going to have enough so people who went through it, they have it in the back of their mind. So when you ask a question about how is it in Poland right now, I think the people who are impacted by it, they will never forget it. And they will always remember that. So if that moment comes, they kind of sort of pause and like, wait a second, you know, we've been through this before. What do we do?
1: I guess I can say I kind of wish that the US had a had a better kinship with Poland to really understand what it was like to go through and To always learn from that so that we don't take anything for granted. And your grandma's observation is interesting because since the late 30s, I mean, the population, I think, has doubled. And unfortunately, the political infighting is worse. Uh, But again, I always describe this as the narcissism of small differences. We fight over the smallest details. We're not fighting over like, oh, we should become communist or full-throated capitalist. It's more of like, what's the extent of certain regulations? and other things but it's not like foundational and completely changing the country and again if we just look at countries like poland as a wonderful example of survival and growth and also look at russia it's tough because this war which is of course 100 wrong it shows a failure on all of us to help russia transition And they've reverted back, even to the extent that they're hearkening back to the imperial days, to the days of the czars, like, oh, well, we really should have the lands when we had a czar. So it's like, well, you want Poland? You want Ukraine? I'm pretty sure if you ask the average Russian, they'd be like, look, I just want to live.
0: Yeah, that's what we see even here on the news. That's what people say. You know, some people are strong believers. And what is happening is it ought to happen. But majority of people, it's like, why are we doing this? We just exactly like you said, we just want to live. We just want to be happy and try to do the best that we can. Exactly. But it seems and unfortunately, you know, like you mentioned, communism is definitely a very, very difficult system because it seems that one tells you what to do all the time. And obviously you as a human being, you are truthfully not allowed to express your opinions. Because I remember, you know, during that time, I remember all phones were tapped. I mean, at home, you couldn't have a conversation with a neighbor on a phone because everything was tapped. So number one, who's got time to listen to all those conversations? And number two, why? If you want to do this, not a problem. State your opinion, like you said. We agree and we disagree, but I think it's important to learn how to disagree respectfully and not immediately judge or call names and this and that. There is positive in communism, there's negative in communism. There are benefits and advantages and disadvantages in all of these systems. But unfortunately, like you said, kind of sort of Poland being in the middle. So you either get squashed by everybody or you, you know, you can't really grow unless you will take lens away. But it's good to hear that after 40 years that the country was able to recuperate and it's actually growing and you can see people being happy. And I see that in my friends who live there and my family who are younger, who have kids, who have families and are able to move forward. They have enough to live. They have. I think that's what it's ultimately all about. But there were generations that had to sacrifice, sacrifice a lot for them to be able to have this.
1: Exactly. And just the fact that Poland didn't fall into Yugoslavia. Again, a European country that fell into a civil war. And I guess Yugoslavia does have a lot more different ethnical divisions and boundaries than Poland. But even in Poland, you know, there's Russians in Poland, and there's Poles in Poland, and there's some Ukraine. I mean, there still are differences. So, well, absolutely wonderful conversation. Any final words, Carolina? No, thank you so much for having me and be able to share my story. It's an important story. I think we should really talk about it more, even from a selfish American perspective. We need to make sure that America is healthy. And the best way to do that is just let them do what they want to do. The vast, vast majority, I say vast majority of people are hardworking, good people. And let those hardworking people do what they want. And so today we're speaking with Dr. Karolina Kopczynska about growing up in Poland. And of course, my name is Dr. Birol Mercer, and thank you for listening. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com.
0: APU. American Public University.